0: Any children can come on down. We're going to have a little children's time up here. Well, good. Okay. Have a seat. Sit on down. Sit on down. Let me ask you a question. Raise your hand. I guess it's not a question. Raise your hand if you've ever been camping. Camping. I've been camping too. That's a lot of camping. Tell me some awesome things about camping. Just shout them out. Go ahead. Fire. You can go fishing. On the lake. Yep. What else is fun about camping? You get to see the wild, yeah. Get to go hiking. These are fun. In the woods, yep. Yes? We get to sleep in a sleeping bag. Sleeping bags are awesome, yep. Go on adventures. Ooh, and you have a camper with real beds. That's awesome camping is so fun raise your hand if you have fun while you're camping I have fun while I'm camping too except let me tell you something sometimes I grumble and complain when I'm camping because it's hot or maybe there's too many bugs or maybe I just wish I was in my own bed because I don't have a camper with real beds do you have you ever grumbled and complained about anything in your life Maybe. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me tell you a story. So, in the sermon today, Pastor John's going to talk about camping. Yeah, I've slept in a tent before. Mm -hmm. So, we're going to talk about camping during the sermon, and it's about a group of people called the Israelites. Have you ever heard of the Israelites? Yes. Okay, so they used to be slaves in Egypt. Would you like to be a slave? No, that would be miserable. Somebody owns you. They're not very nice to you. You have to work really hard. It would be miserable. So Moses, you ever heard of Moses? Yeah, so God raised up Moses and helped him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land, and that is awesome. But they had to camp for a long, long, long time in the desert where it was hot, and they were hungry, and they were tired, and they didn't have real beds, and they didn't have hotel rooms. So do you think that they grumbled. They did. They sure did. They grumbled and complained because they just wanted food and some shelter. And you know what? Some of them even said, I wish we were slaves again. I would never say that. I think they got confused because they were just hungry. But guess what? God heard them and he sent them food and he took care of them. Why do you think he did that? Yeah. Because he loves them. That's exactly right. So turn my paper here. Um, God loves them and wants to take care of them. And he really wanted them to make it all the way to the promised land. So he was going to take care of them. Um, But we shouldn't grumble and complain, right? Yeah, we should not grumble and complain. The Bible says that a bunch of times. It's everywhere. It's all over the Bible. Do not grumble and complain. And in the sermon today, I'm pretty sure Pastor John's going to read one of those scriptures. So just turn your ears on and listen to it so that you know what that verse is that tells you not to grumble and complain. Um, but instead, what do you think we should do to God? Instead of grumbling and complaining, what, what maybe should we do instead? What do you think? We should love him. We should tell him thank you. Because guess what? Even when we're complaining about some things, we have lots of blessings, don't we? We have food. We have clothes. We have shelter. We have lots of things. And God always provides for our needs. So sometimes when you start to grumble, maybe turn that to gratitude and tell God thank you for what you already have, okay? Let's pray about that. Can we pray together? Dear God, sometimes we grumble, sometimes we complain, and we forget how blessed we are. So we just ask that in those times that we start to grumble, that we turn that to gratitude, and we tell you how thankful we are for all of our blessings. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
1: Becky did a great job of laying the foundation of what we're going to get into. As you know, uh, we're in a series called Summer or excuse me, family vacation, and we're dealing with di- different aspects of uh, family vacation, different locations, and then most importantly, how is that a relevant lesson for us today? And so what we're going to get into today is the Israelites and the fact that they were campers, and we're going to get into what that actually means. But when I think about camping, there are three groups of people. So I want you to raise your hand if you represent one of these three groups of people. The first is you just love. Camping. Raise your hand. I just love it. Good. Three of you. Okay, so three of you. So we got a great group that love. Uh, I've tried it. Second group, I've tried it. You've tried it at least. Boy, we got some folks that haven't even tried it. Uh, the next group is, I would rather have a root canal. Okay, raise your hand. I do not <laughs> want to go camping, okay? So I want to start off uh, with a quote, very inspirational quote by uh, one of my favorite people, Jim Gaffigan, a comedian, And this this is what he says about camping, talking about his wife. I married a woman who loves to camp. I'm what you call indoorsy. Now, my wife always brings up, camping is a tradition in my family. Hey, it was a tradition in everyone's family until they had a house. (laughs) That's how a lot of folks feel about camping. Over in Numbers chapter 33 is one of the most fascinating chapters in the entire Bible. In Numbers 33, it's a summary of that 40-year journey that the Israelites had. And it was called uh, the years of what? Wandering. They just wandered. And here's what's incredible is it lists every place that they, here's the key word, camped. Matter of fact, if you were to go through that text in Numbers 33, and you highlight it every time the word camped is used, I went through and counted that three or four times, Forty-one times. Now, I want you to think about 41 times over 40 years that they picked up everything they owned and they moved. Now, when we hear the word camping, and when I hear the word camping, I think of Coleman lanterns, a nice fire, s'mores. You know, my wife would think about a dirty shower room. You know, so all of us have memories of camping. But here's the deal. That's not the kind of camping we're talking about here. This is the kind of camping where you're pulling up an entire nation. Now, what were the numbers? Well, we know it tells us in Exodus that there were over 600,000 men. So scholars estimate that there was somewhere between 1.5 and 2 million people. Imagine moving 1.5 million people 41 times over 40 years. Imagine that. That would be like taking uh, the last census, 2016, the last population uh, of Indianapolis was Indianapolis and the surrounding area, 1.76 million. So imagine moving the entire city of Indianapolis and the surrounding cities and moving completely. Then we begin to understand this really was a significant move. And when we look at the Israelites, here's the thing we need to understand. Moving is hard. A few years ago, I had a group of guys. uh, We had Bible studies for a couple of years. I don't know why, but we let a guy named Doug Ballard, uh, crazy guy at the Iron Pit. And uh, he named the group uh, the Wild Hogs. And nobody's going to fight with Doug. So we called ourselves the Wild Hogs. And nobody had a motorcycle, which is just the oddest thing. So the second year we got together... It was the first time as we're getting ready to go into a new book and all that. And we had a brand new guy there. And we were going around. I said, let's start with prayer. Let's not end with prayer. Let's start with prayer. Go around, just share what, what's on your heart. And then we'll get into what we're going to be studying. And we got about five or six guys in. And this brand new guy, nobody knew who he was, started talking. And then he just lost it. He just started crying. Now, there's something about men when they cry, nobody knows what to do especially when you're around a bunch of other guys. And we're kind of looking at each other, and we're like, uh, I don't know, maybe you need to go camping. You know, we, didn't, we had nothing to give him. But here's what he said, and here's what broke our heart. He goes, I, I'm so sorry I'm crying, guys. You don't even know me. But he said, about a month ago, we moved here. And my wife and I, we moved from the, the city where we've grown up our entire lives. Didn't like the job where I was at. Got this new job. It's not really working out. And I just remember these words. Moving is so hard. Isn't that true? It is hard. I know in our lives, those have been some of the hardest times when we've moved. And even if you live in the same town your whole life, there is that agony of change, isn't there? And it comes this time of year. Some of you, I guarantee you, are going through some hard times. You're sending your child away to kindergarten. How many of you have ever been through that experience? And then when they go to college... Isn't that fun when you drop them off at college and how heartbreaking that is? Change is hard. Moving is hard. So I just want to pause right now, and I want to pray for anyone here, as you came in here, that's what's on your heart right now. Maybe you've moved here. Maybe you're getting ready to move. Maybe you're changing a job. Maybe you have a family member that's moving. But regardless, it's on your heart. And I know it's a big deal, and I want to pray for you right now before we get going. Heavenly Father, I know moving is hard, and it can be so painful. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that this is what they're facing. This is the anxiety that they walked in with this morning. Moving and change is hard. So, Lord, Lord help us to lean on you every day. And, Lord, if today Uh, whoever is hurting and they just need your grace, Lord, I just pray that they experience your grace in full measure. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but the lessons in life that seem to have made the greatest impact are not from the things that I've done well, it's from the mistakes I've made. Anybody else in that boat? You're not going to admit it, but we all make mistakes or we can learn from other people's mistakes so here's what's interesting what we're going to get into today in first corinthians 10 verses 6 and then verse 11 it says this these things happened so that they can be being the israelites examples and they were written down as warnings for us for whom the fulfillment of the ages is to come we know from the new testament they look at this season of wandering, and I said, you can learn so much, even from these Israelites who wandered. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at that season of wandering, and we're going to pull two life lessons out of it, two very practical, relevant lessons. If you're taking notes, here's the first one, very simple. They traveled light. They had to. They had to travel light. And Exodus 13, 17 is a really interesting verse. And let me paraphrase it for you. Uh, Moses is in a conversation with God. And the entire nation, remember, has just been freed. Over 400 years they've been in bondage. And God is telling Moses, I've got some, some relevant news, and then I've got some incredible news. Here's the relevant news. In just a short time, this entire nation is going to be free. But they need hope, and I'm going to give them hope. I have a land for them, a promised land. And some of you know this. It's a land filled with what? Milk and honey. I mean, this is good. It's, a, it's an amazing place. And Moses, if I could just diagram a map for you, in just a moment, we're going to show you a map. If I could just diagram this map, this promised land isn't even that far away. Are you ready for this? This will blow you away. If you look at their travels here, just if you can pull that map up. If you look at the Israelites and you think of all these years of wandering, do you know when they were in bondage to get to the promised land, if you took a shortcut straight across from point 1 to 12, if you look from there to there, do you know how long it would take the Israelites to get from point A to point B? This blew me away. About two and a half weeks. Think about that. It wasn't that long of a distance. And God said, if you look at this map, Moses, I want you to know something. No shortcuts. There's a shorter way to go. I know that. But if they take that route, here's what's going to happen. Remember, they're moving 1.5 million people. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to get in this journey, and the first time they face opposition, they're not ready. They're not organized. They haven't learned to trust me, and they will turn around, and where are they going to go back to? Right back to bondage. So you have to trust me that I'm going to take them a little longer route. And then when they're ready, the promised land will be there. Do you know how long they're on that route? This is almost embarrassing. Just a little over a year. So God wasn't saying this is going to be years and years. He's just saying they've got to get ready. And the way they get ready is by learning to trust me. And one of the very first things is you have to pack light. They can't take all their possessions with them. They have to trust God. There's a packing expert. If you go online, interesting guy, his name is Rick Stevens. And especially international travel. And here's what he said. Don't pack for the worst case scenario. Pack for the best case scenario. When in doubt, leave it out. Now, I don't want you to look at anyone. But have you ever traveled with somebody who gets this suitcase and you know there's a couple of kids packed in that suit. You ever have somebody like that? And when you walk up to the counter, you're nervous because you know there's a weight limit and you're pretty sure something's got to come out of that suitcase because they pack everything that could possibly what? Go wrong. So his idea is learn to pack light. Learn to pack light. About three years ago, I had a group of guys <clears throat> led by Chad Nykirk. Uh, Chad's a great friend, uh, outdoor enthusiast. Uh, I've never seen anybody that can pack a backpack like Chad. He's got it literally down to the ounce. And so the night before we're getting ready and we're all putting our gear in there. Now, remember, none of us have hiked except Chad on long hikes. So here we're getting ready for the Appalachian Trail and I'm all excited. You know, got my color coordinated walking stick and my, you know, so anyway, I'm ready to roll. And I, you, my pack is just, like, expanding. And Chad, he's got this look, like, what are you doing? And he started looking in my backpack. He said, why do you have an entire plastic thing full of different-flavored coffees and creamers? <laughs> I'm like, well, isn't it obvious? You know, we're sitting around the fire, sharing life. He's like, no. You know, and he just, and so... Uh, I realized as we got into the hike, you don't want to carry anything extra. And I said, man, Chad, I'm beginning to understand. About two days, I'm beginning to understand what you were talking about. And he said, John, here's what I've learned. Every ounce counts. Every ounce. I'm not talking pounds. Every ounce counts. Now, here's the deal that all of us face, especially in America. Uh, Do you agree that in America, we are obsessed with stuff? Would you agree with that? Because if you don't agree with that, you don't live in America. I mean, I'm sorry. We (laughs) love stuff. There is a book, and these statistics came out of it, and I'm telling you, it blows me away. His name is Joshua Becker. He's the author of a book called The More of Less, The More of Less. There's a couple things. The average size of the homes today in America have tripled in the past 50 years tripled. 25%, this this hits home with us, 25% of all Americans with a two-car garage cannot get in either area of that garage. (laughs) 32% that have a two-car garage can only get one of the cars in. Now, think about that. So, over 50% that have two-car garage can't get either car in or just barely get one car in the garage. Now, here's the one To me, that is mind-numbing. There are five times the number of storage facilities than Starbucks in the United States. (laughs) Now, think about that. Every American man, woman, and child has 7.3 feet of storage opportunities in the United States. Now, here's the one that make you really feel bad, okay? The population of the United States... Of the world's population, we have 3% of the world's children, (laughs) but we have 40% of the toys. Think about that. I'm sorry you're starving, but I'm going to chase a Pokemon and buy another toy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's the world we're in. Now, we might say, that is not my issue. No, no, it's everyone's issue. And I think one of the things God was saying to the Israelites is, I know this is hard. I know you may not own a lot of things, but you've been here a long time. And as you pick up and move, and you pick up and move, guess what? You have to determine every time between what you desperately need and what you want. And you've got to learn, pack only what you need. And eventually, guess what's going to happen? You'll come to the realization that the only thing you really need is you need to be right with me. Pack, light, light. There's a story I read about a family, and your response may be what my response was, and then I felt guilty about it. The family was from Atlanta, Kevin and Joan Salwin. They live in Atlanta. The teenage daughter was really bothered when she saw what was going on in the area with the homeless, what was going on with the hungry around the world, and she kept telling her mom and dad, why don't we do something about it? And finally, the dad said, so what do you want us to do? You want me to just sell the house? And she said, you know, dad, I think we should sell the house. And then why don't we move down? And then let's take the money, and then let's get together as a family and decide how we're going to help others. Well, after she laid that on him, he started praying about it, which is a dangerous thing to do. So they sold their house for $800,000. And with uh, that move... They moved downward to a $400,000 house. Now, when I first read that, I don't know about you, but I wasn't thinking, that's so great. They gave away $400,000. You know what I landed on? You got an $800,000 house? You know, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> well, yeah, you can give it away. And I almost had this sense like God moving in me saying, well, hey, John, what are you giving away? And I'm like, Yeah, but God, that's an $800,000 house. You know what I'm saying? This is the guy that has the problem. No, all of us have this problem. All of us have to face the fact that we live with a desire for stuff. And when that takes over, God is going to tell us the same thing. Are you willing to lose some of that? How much can we live without? How much can we live without? Not to say, God, I sacrificially give to you, but say, no, God, if I can learn to live without I know I'll begin to have the relationship that you want with me because this is clutter and the clutter is getting in the way of my life. Don't you love it honestly when you go either through your garage or your closet or whatever it is and you really honestly start moving stuff out? Doesn't that just feel good? That's what God's wanting. And then second of all, here's the lesson that they taught us, the Israelites, is not only to travel light but get it right. Now, what do I mean by that, to get it right? Let me read you just a handful of verses. Becky talked about this, and I think it's really important. Exodus 15, 24. And I want to see if you pick up the pattern. So the people grumbled at what they were going to drink. So they were freed since so they came across the land. There was some bitter water. They began to grumble. And God took care of it and gave them fresh water. And then we get to this text, Exodus 16, verses 2 through 7. It says, On the 15th day of the second month, after they came out of Egypt in the desert, while the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the Israelites said to them, If only we have died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, And we ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out here in the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. And then the Lord said to Moses, then I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people are going to go out every day and gather enough for that day. And this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my what? Instructions. Now, I want you to let that settle in, what they're complaining about, what they're grumbling about, because we can all do the same thing. If you go back up to verse 3, I want you to pick up something. They said to them, If only we had what? If only we had uh, what we had in Egypt when we sat around with pots of meat. Now, okay, Becky shared this with the kids. What were they? They were slaves. I really don't think the Egyptians every night went door to door and said, are you done with that first pot of meat? Because we want you to have a second pot of meat. We want you to be happy. But they, in their minds, they thought we were in such a great place. How ridiculous is that? But you know what? We can do the same thing. You know what it's called? The good old days. Aren't we all guilty sometimes of reminiscing about the good old days? My kids used to get so sick and tired of me in the summer because I would tell them the same story. I said, why are you inside? Let me tell you, when I was a kid, I didn't stay inside. I'd eat breakfast, I'd go out and play. I'd come home at lunch, I'd go out and play. I'd play till I came home for dinner, I went out and played. I never stayed inside. I just played all day long. Now, do you know why I went outside and played all day long? Anybody wanna guess? We didn't have air conditioning. I had no other options. And you know where I actually went after I'd play? To my friend's house who had air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, seriously, don't we all do that with the good old days? Because not everything about the good old days was good. Isn't that true? I mean, think about that. We may say, I lived back in the day where we didn't have air conditioning. Do you have it now? Guess what? I think it's pretty cool. You know what I'm saying? It's a pretty good thing. Notice all the things in life we do that with. Yeah, I do that. Here's the, again, my kids make fun of me all the time. I'll make fun of them and say, You kids with the smartphones, you're just obsessed with the smartphones. You know, when I walk around, you know who's obsessed with it? Everyone is obsessed with it. We all have the issue. And we can say, I remember in the good old days when we had the paper maps, we didn't need this crazy GPS. Guess what? I like GPS. I do Now, it might mess me up occasionally. I think it's pretty cool, too. Not everything about the good old days is good. And when we start always looking back, you know what the tendency is? Then the present and especially the future, you know what we do? We start to complain. That's exactly what the Israelites did. Every time they turned around, they kept finding new ways to complain. And when you get to Numbers 14, it is one of the most heart-wrenching chapters in the Bible. Because God finally brings them to the threshold of the promised land. And you know what they do? They gripe so much that God finally says, you know what? I've had it. I've given you every opportunity. And I've brought you right here to the promised land. And you know what you decided to do? You sent in 12 spies. And when they came back, you didn't listen to the two that said, take the land. You listened to the 10 that said, you need to live in fear. Don't walk in faith. And you know what? I'm going to let you live in fear. I'm going to let an entire generation walk and live in fear for 40 years. So here's my question to you this morning. Is grumbling and complaining a big deal to God? And you know what the answer is? It is a big deal. In James 5:9, it says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And the judge is standing at the door. Monica Johnson says, complaining is an insult to God. The reason I share this is, it is so easy to get into a mode where you're grumbling and complaining inwardly or outwardly, and if you don't get a handle on it, it can, it can begin to ruin your life. I really mean that. Last Sunday, um, and I think part of it was because Marie wasn't here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off that. So I would got back late on Saturday night, so we'd been I'd been traveling, and usually I pop right up on Sunday morning early, I'm ready to go, and I actually wanted to sleep in a little bit. So I, I really was not in a good mood coming to church. And then as I came in, we were just a little short with people setting the chairs up, and as I'm setting the chairs up, I'm like, there's a lot of chairs. Do they really play that much bingo in here? You know, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I'm feeling here. And then I I get up to preach, and believe it or not, there's certain Sundays you really don't feel like preaching. I know that sounds terrible, but, man, I had to pray hard. I'm like, God, this is really hard today. And then afterwards, as we were setting everything up, and I was in the back, and I was looking all around, and the doors were getting locked, and I thought, man, there's a lot of work to do here every week. The setup, the teardown, there really is a lot of work. This is hard. God, this is hard. You know, I'm just really, well, you know, world problems. And then on the way home, uh, as I'm getting ready to go across 37 on Tap Road, I look all around, I'm like, I hate I-69. I hate it. I don't mean I dislike it. I hate it. You know, and I'm just, you know, it starts kind of beating in. And then I finally get across the highway, and this guy's like honking at me, waving at me, and he did more than wave at me. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not waving at him, but I'm kind of going, you know, what are you? And I'm like, I'm like you should have gone to church. You know, I'm, I'm all riled up. <laughs> What's your problem? And then I realized, oh, yeah, I guess I did cut him off. But he should have been at church anyway. You know, I'm, I'm still upset. And then uh, Tony Lutz and I came back over to the county fair that night. and We're setting up the, the West Side booth. Last Sunday night, I don't know if you guys were outside in that stuff. I can't believe animals were just dying out in the <laughs> county. It was like dripping with sweat and we're supposed to stay till nine o'clock. And I looked at Tony; Tony's like eight o'clock and I'm like, I'm the preacher. Let's go home. You know, I mean, I mean, it was just, do you know what I'm saying? And I went to, I just went to bed. I mean, I'm not lying. I was just in a bad mood. And then I got up and I always lay out of my stuff for the next week's message and the little notes and everything. Started going through the scriptures and I'm like, oh great. It's on complaining. But it was interesting, all of a sudden I was like, I really I just sense got like, dude, you had better get a check on this. I mean, seriously, you spent an entire day. But you know what? That's easy, isn't it? Can we all be honest with one? Isn't that easy? You can wake up and you can literally decide, man, I'm gonna complain about everything today. And you'll find something to complain about. That's easy. And then we act as if nobody cares. Nobody cares about my attitude. And we know it. It does matter. It matters to God. And it matters how we treat other people because other people are paying attention. So God said, hey, do you know why they wandered for 40 years? You want to boil it down? Well, I keep repeating the same thing grumble, grumble, grumble. And then we need to realize wow, that is serious. A few weeks ago, when Marie and I were traveling, I went inside a little gift shop, and there was a bumper sticker that I bought, uh, and it says, not all who wander are lost. Not all who wander are lost. And I started thinking about that, and I'm like, what's the difference between the word wander and wonder? See, God doesn't want us to wander, to just walk through life without purpose, to just kind of move through life, just getting by. That's wandering. No, he wants us to go through life and experience his wonder, to realize that we're not always going to get everything we want. that Some days are hard, other days are harder, but he's with us every step of the way. And when we start every day by saying, God, I don't know what's coming, but I do know you're with me and I do know I trust you, then God allows us to experience his wonder. We begin to hear people laugh again. We begin to celebrate music again. We begin to live life to the fullest again. And that's what he wants. Some of you here today, you may be battling an an area of your life where it's not to the point of complaining, it's just an area that you're hurting. Or some of you are just searching for hope. And I want to just say a prayer for you, and I want you to know that we're always here to talk, to listen, to share with you, and to do whatever we can. Father, we know how hard it is in life, day in and day out, to lean on you. Lord, we know that there are some here this morning that I guarantee are hurting. So Lord, I just pray that you'll give them comfort, so that as they go through life, that they don't feel like they're just uh, wandering around, but they begin to experience your wonder. Help us to be a congregation that will do everything that we can to help those that are hurting, those that are struggling, those trying to find their way home, back to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.